Eating is an emotional experience, which is why managing your weight needs to be a psychological one. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Keep or Cut podcast, a proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I'm Pete Ball, joined as always by Chad Young. Chad, we are on to episode 95, which is really exciting. We are five away from the big 100. We're 95 or we're 94? In my head, I felt like uh, we were 94. Yep. You know what? We are 94. <laughs> I yeah. was looking at the notes incorrectly. So we're, I mean, I guess so technically. To get to 100, you just can't even wait. Yeah, exactly. But that's all right. We'll we'll get there when we get there. Uh, we're six weeks away now, <laughs> not five, from the big one zero zero. Um, you can follow us at at Keeper Cut. You can follow me at at PP Baseball. You can follow Chad at at Chad Young. Chad, we've had a lot going on in the news. So before we get into what we're going to do today, which is targeting keepers for twenty twenty four already, I know that sounds a little bit crazy. Maybe some of these names will help you out this year. Who knows? But we're really looking ahead here as we always are on Keeper Cup, but we have a lot of news to get through, Chad. Um, And as usual, let's comb through some of the injuries that have taken place around the league that could have some fantasy implications. A few of these, maybe not long-term implications, but the players replacing them for a brief period of time certainly could. And the first one uh, that comes up is Josh Donaldson, who's been placed in the IL with a hamstring injury. It doesn't look like it's going to be serious, but this might give Willie Calhoun an opportunity here because his contract was purchased from AAA. Um, so, or selected, I should say from AAA. So any interest in Willie Calhoun or does this Donaldson injury interest you at all? I know he was a guy you had vague interest in before the season. Yeah. I mean, I had vague interest in him before the season and I'm, I'm just, I'm moving on from him. I think like, yes, I think there's a chance he bounces back. I think he could have a good season, but I'm just not that, just not that excited about him to, to be willing to wait through an injury like this. And he hasn't always healed quickly in the past. So it, you know, it's not the kind of thing where you're like, Oh, it's a hamstring. It'll be a week, two weeks. Like he's on the IL for 10 days. He'll be fine. Like he's had, he's had issues that have lingered and I, it just, I don't know that concerns me a little bit. And so I'm sort of, I'm out on him. I'm, I guess if Willie Calhoun does something interesting or exciting, I could, I could get excited, but I'm not really there yet. What, what I'd really be interested in is if they would move Anthony Volpe to third and give Oswaldo Peraza a shot at short, but I don't think they're going to do that. God, my ought new teams would be so happy if they did that. I went into so many auctions. Uh, I shouldn't say so many. I'm only in four leagues, but in a couple of auctions, assuming that Oswaldo Peraza was just going to be the shortstop for the Yankees at the beginning of the season. And obviously that has been a little bit of a disaster. He actually probably should have been a cut for me in both of those leagues. Um, I'm with you on Donaldson. I agree. He actually does not really heal that quickly. And for what it's worth, it's only 17 plate appearances. 
and he did hit a homer in those 17, but he also struck out six times and he's only walked once. So it, yeah. not a lot of optimism to hold on, even in the deepest of deep leagues for Josh Donaldson. This next one was a player that um, you and I kicked around a little bit last year, and it was looking like, all right, this is his opportunity with Reese Hoskins getting injured. But Derek Hall uh, tore a ligament in his thumb. He's expected to miss anywhere from two to three months. Cody Clemens <laughs> was seeing playtime there. We, we could see Alec Bohm move over. There's rumors here in Boston. We want to see Bobby Dahlback traded to the Phillies. I don't know if they would give us a cheesesteak or what they would give us for Bobby Dahlback. But um, I, I guess this is just more of a like, darn, I really wanted to see Derek Hall. Uh, although I'm not sure he can even hit lefties. But you got anything on the Derek Hall injury, Chad? No, because I, I don't. Yes, I wanted to see what he was doing, but I, I don't see there's nobody that's going to open up playing time for immediately that this is exciting, right? And so unless a trade gets worked out, and even then, like if I think about the trades they can make, this isn't really going to make me like want to go buy Bobby Dahlback if they go trade hit trade for him. They could trade for a guy like one interesting possibility is they trade for CJ Crone or someone like that, which opens up time for somebody else in Colorado. Maybe that's what gets Nolan Jones promoted finally. I don't know. But I, right now, it's sort of like I expect the Phillies to do something because they're they're contending, right? They're not going to sit around and, and they're now down to their like they've lost. They've lost Bryce Harper, who had who is in their DH mix. They lost Hoskins. Now they lost Hall. Like, I just don't think they're going to stand Pat. Um, I, you know, waiting around to see if somebody steps up is not exactly Dave Dombrowski's way. <laughs> if he's got a, a prospect, he can trade away. He will. So I, I suspect they're going to do something. And, and I'm more interested to see what the foul fallout from that, from the other side of that is. So. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point with Dombrowski at the helm there. Um, I, I don't know. I, this is as a Boston fan here. Kyle Schwarber played first base for us down the stretch. And although at times it was extremely ugly, um, you know, Nick Castellanos has some corner infield experience, right? He was a third baseman. Could he make the shift to first? Uh, they might get a little bit creative if the market is dead, which could make things interesting for those players if they gain added eligibility. But that is just me talking nonsense i have not read anything that they have any interest in moving those guys there i just know both are atrocious in the outfield um and if they have a need at first base maybe they try him out there but like ron washington in Moneyball, um it's extremely difficult so yeah <laughs> I, I don't expect them to just be like yeah give me a first base but let's do it but uh who knows crazier things have been done and one of those things has actually happened in the past um so this one is a lot more hard hitting uh, for fantasy and could be pretty bad. I don't know. I haven't read much about it, Chad, so I'm going to kind of lean on you here. And if you haven't, then we'll both learn it on the spot. But Michael Harris Jr., who I don't roster in a lot of places because if folks remember, I was kind of down on him. That's not a victory lap. There's no victory lap to be had. He got hurt, um, but he's out with a back strain. That could be that could be trouble, especially for, for such an athletic player. So uh, any thoughts there on what's going on in Atlanta? So the... Atlanta doesn't seem worried. Um, as of yesterday, I think. Yeah, as of yesterday afternoon, after their game, like Snitker, the manager there, was saying, like, could be a minimal IL stint. They expect him back soon. Um, apparently, he said that they thought it was a four to five day kind of thing. They just didn't want to play a short a man for four to five days, which I get. And I actually like 
I, I think teams should be more proactive about that, to be honest. Like, I think teams underestimate sometimes they, they, two things. They underestimate the value or the impact of being short a man on your roster for like even for just a single series. And I also think they underestimate the value that guys get from like, look, if this is a four or five day thing and we put you on the 10 day IL, like you'll be good when you get back, right? You'll be, you're not going to rush back. There'll be no incentive to try to get you pinch hitting in four days when it, you know, like just let this thing heal. Um, Pete, I know you are, you, you are not nearly as old as I am, but uh, when your back starts to have problems, like you need to let it get right before you do anything crazy. And I think it's, it's one of the things I've learned having my back cause issues for me a couple times is you, you can't, you have to do something. You have to stay, keep moving. You got like the, the feedback I've gotten from doctors has been like, don't stop, like try to go about as much normal stuff as you can, but don't do anything that could strain it worse. Like don't, don't exacerbate the problem. And so like if Michael Harris could just spend the next 10 days, you know, not lying around, but like not being his normal active self, just let it get right. I'm feeling I am. I, I've got Harrison a couple places. I'm being very zen about this right now. I am assuming he'll be good to go in ten days. Like, and that's that's great news. So, like when I first heard that it was a back issue, I was like, oh man, that that could be really terrible. I, I'm for now. I'm just like, they're saying it's quick. They're saying they didn't even need to put it on the IL. They just did it to be safe. Great. That sounds good. If it starts to linger, I'll start getting worried. I think that's the right take. Um, the next player we're, we're going to talk about is actually very similar. It looks like it should be a short stint, but he is a much more injury-prone player than Michael Harris Jr. I'm with you. It could be interesting to see what uh, Ozuna or Rosario or Sam Hilliard, a name that we've all been holding out hope for for years and years and years, see if they could do something in this short stint of potential extra playing time. But I am not pushing the panic button on Michael Harris Jr. I also don't really roster Michael Harris Jr., so I'm not really worried about it. Uh, that next player is Eloy Jimenez. Uh, I, now, he is a guy who I do roster all over the place. Um, I feel bad for Eloy, hurt once again. However, in his own words, he said he would have been able to pinch hit the other night if he was not on the IL. So I, I don't know what to do here because like, I, I, I'm kind of like, man, when this guy gets healthy, if he hits a home run, I'm putting him on the trade block because it's already started. On the other hand, is this just kind of what you were talking about, like, Take advantage of the fact that it's no longer the 15-day IL. It's the 10-day IL. Let a guy rest. Let a guy get good to go and and let him go at it. Because Eloy, when healthy, especially recently, has been really, really good. Yeah, he is really good. I think uh, Eloy Jimenez is a bit of a, um, say, an unreliable narrator. I feel like he he talks about stuff and you're like, eh, like, he made a whole thing about how like he's definitely like he's a, he he really believes he's a great outfielder, which more power to him. I I he should feel that way. Um, it doesn't make it true, <laughs> and so I I just I feel like he's he's talked a lot in the past about like oh this injury I'll be fine I'll be back before you know but like so I I don't put a lot of stock into like to me Eloy saying I could have pinch hit is not the same as Snitker saying Harris would have been fine. We're just trying to be you know take a little extra precaution here so i'm not as i'm not as gung-ho about this i'm a little more concerned about it i don't know that i have Eloy on any of my rosters because 
I just assumed this was coming at some point. And I think the challenge, like one of the things that's, that's difficult with these two versus like we talked about Donaldson or Hall for keeper leagues. Like if you want to move on from Donaldson or Hall, just move on. Like you're, it's fine. Harris or Eloy, like in an auto new league, in a keeper league, depending on their costs, like these are guys you expected to have around for years. And so bailing on them now because of an injury, which I would certainly not recommend for Harris at all. And, and really not, I'm not suggesting anyone should cut Jimenez. Like that's not, it's not where this is going, but like you just sort of have to live with the injuries to guys like this and, and wait through them. I don't know that I disagree with you though, about like if Jimenez comes back in a week and has a couple of good games in a row, that might be a good moment to just be like, you know what? I'm going to get out of the Eloy Jimenez business, which like I said, I've been doing over the last couple of years. I had him in a few places. I've sort of divested myself and I'm a happier person for it. Yeah, I have him everywhere. Like I've got Eloy Jimenez <laughs> coming out the ears. So uh, I definitely have him everywhere. And, and I'm, I might look just to just because of that to move him in a couple of spots so that if he does end up sustaining some massive injury, which God, we hope he doesn't, um, but he is just kind of an awkward dude. He's not really that athletic. And I, I think he kind of puts himself in situations where he can get hurt. If that does happen, I don't want to be exposed to that in every single league that I'm in. I mean, I guess as a, as a side note, um, Gavin sheets in the meantime, until Eloy Jimenez comes back, it looks like he has a lot of righties coming up on the schedule. One of the, so when you're listening to this episode, if everything goes as planned um, and there's no rainouts or anything like that, he's going to face Sonny Gray, who looked amazing last night. We're recording Saturday, April 8th. So uh, Sonny Gray, 13 strikeouts, just unbelievable last night against Houston of all teams. So who knows? Maybe you want to miss that one. But then he gets the Baltimore rotation, and that's going to start with Tyler Wells, a righty. So Gavin Sheets might be worth a stream. Next week, uh, not a lot of long-term excitement, though, for me uh, on Gavin Sheets. And our last yeah. injury since since um, our last recording, this one stinks, especially with the state of pitching. Max yep. Reed, hamstring, uh, and it doesn't look good. No, it doesn't. Um, he's He is still able to throw, but he can't really throw with much force, I guess, because he can't use his legs. Like, he isn't running. Apparently... Sitker said, like, when they announced their team at their home opener, you know, they announced the whole roster and Freed jogged from the dugout out onto the field. And Sitker was like, I hope he was careful. That's the first time he's run since the injury. <laughs> it's right. like, oh, man. But apparently afterwards, he was like, no, I felt good. I'm like, I don't know. So they're just trying to get him to a place where he can, like, field bunts, move around on the mound. Like, that's the biggest issue with him. Uh, and so. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything to do here except hope that it's only a couple of weeks and wait it out because, you know, you're not you're not cutting Freed. He doesn't have like an injury history where I'm thinking you need to, you know, try to shop him, get rid of him. Like I'm a huge Max Freed fan. I'm just just chilling, waiting for him to come back. So, Chad, in your deeper keepers where like maybe you keep a lot of players and it's kind of at the beginning of the year, like everybody's trying to contend, right? But if you're like a 12, 13 keeper league, you could look at your roster at the beginning of the year and be like, this isn't going to be my year. This could be a, a rebuilding year for me. 
Are you targeting someone right now like Max Freed, who, you know, next year will be his age 30 season. He's dealing with a hamstring injury. Like he probably will still have to pay up a little bit because of the state of pitching that I actually want to talk about in just a minute. But like, is that a, is that a move that you're interested in doing? Is he a buy low candidate for those really deep keeper leagues? My guess is he's not a buy low because my guess is you can't actually buy low on him, but I'm, okay. I would be happy to do it if I could. Like if I felt like I could buy him right now at a discount, I would, I would do it in a heartbeat. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I would too. I'm still in on freedom. Just disappointed with this news. He's one of those arms that I just thought was like safe and shame on me for thinking any starting pitcher is safe. <laughs> uh, we did have some really, really exciting news, which is that Grayson Rodriguez got uh, called up to start against Jacob deGrom, which is just awesome. Um, DeGrom, we don't need to talk about best pitcher on the planet. That's great. Grayson Rodriguez, though, after a very shaky first inning, and he wasn't good in the spring at all, which is you know why he got oddly like called out by the GM or whoever. That was really weird and uncomfortable to listen to. Um, and then he didn't have a great start in the minors, but he gets called up, and after that shaky first inning, he was dominant. He was awesome. So any thoughts on the Grayson Rodriguez promotion chat, or are you just excited and ready to watch him pitch? I'm just excited and ready to watch him pitch. I didn't actually get to watch the game the other day. Um I think apparently so I, I I was under the impression that to be eligible for the draft pick compensation for the rookie of the year voting, you had to be on the opening day roster. Apparently that's not accurate. Apparently you just have to be up. You have to earn a full year of service time and to earn a full year of service time. You can miss like 16 days or 18 days. Something like that's so like they are now, they now actually have an incentive if he keeps pitching well to keep him up and get him that full year of service time. If he looks like he's in the running for rookie of the year. So I, that, that I like, um, yeah, I'm just excited that he got his shot. I'm a little annoyed. It wasn't a week earlier, but you know, I'll forgive them for that. (laughs) Yep. Great pitch to great ballpark to pitch. in, I should say, and Hey, by missing that opening series, he missed Adam Duvall. So he kind of lucked out. He didn't have to face the modern day Babe Ruth. Um, so in in that way, (laughs) his final stat line should be that much better. Um, So, Chad, I I wanted to find this little nugget because there's this uh, hysteria about pitching so far. Everybody thought, I shouldn't say everybody, but the the outlets that I listen to, the podcast that I listen to, the prevailing thought was that pitching is kind of back, that we're out of the juice ball territory, that yes, the game is trying to include more offense, but that offense is not over the fence offense, just more balls in play, which pitchers can deal with. Um, I mean, that's that's really simplifying the story here, but the league ERA last year was 3.97. Okay, right now, so far, it's 4.37. And even though folks might say, like, that's not even half a run. That's a lot for a league-wide ERA. That's a huge, huge jump. Now, it is only April 8th. So it's just a month of not even. What am I talking about a month? It's a it's a two turns through the rotation, not even for baseball. But it's still noticeable. It's not like the sample's that small when you consider it's every inning that's been pitched by a pitcher in baseball this year. So is it just weather-related? Is it just... I don't know what it is because usually pitchers are ahead of hitters. So what's what's going on here? So I think there's a couple of things to keep in mind here. One is, yes, 4.37 is a lot more than 3.97. Here are the ERAs on the year for 2019, 2020, and 2021. 4.51 in the 2019 rabbit ball year. 4.45 in 2020. 4.27 in 2021. So when you look at it from that perspective – last year is the outlier right this year fits in very nicely with the the previous seasons the other thing 
that I think is interesting. So there's been a lot of talk about home runs per plate appearance being up. Home runs per plate appearance is like 3.1%, I think. Yeah, it's 3.1%. I'm looking at it. So I am right now looking at a tweet thread from Alexander Chase at Chase underscore rate. He's a great, great follow if you're not following him. Um, and he's responding to, there's been all this chatter about like home runs are up. The, the ball has obviously changed again. Like they blah, 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 all this stuff. And he's sort of pushing back on that a little bit. And so what he is, what he, the, the thread where he starts is by saying that March, April barrels per plate appearance are up. So last year, barrels per plate appearance were 5.3%. It's 5.9% this year. Previous years around that, 5.1%, 5.2%, So like, it's a big jump, right? I mean, it's 5.9% is an outlier in terms of how many barrels there have been. That's not because the ball changed. Then if you look at hard contact, that's up a bit too, but not nearly as much. 26.3% this year versus 26.1%, which suggests that guys are, it's not so much that guys are hitting the ball hard more often. It's that they are, they're hitting in the sweet spot, right? They're in those, those launch angles, right? More often. Um, and then he points out that yes, home runs per plate appearance are up. They're 3.4 or sorry. They are 3.1% this year versus 3.4% in the 2019 rabbit ball year versus 2.4% last year. Again, like 2021 was 3.1% so same as this year. So again, it's that, you know, 2022 looks like the outlier, all of which is to say a couple things. One, let's not draw any conclusions yet. Like there's still a lot of data we can collect and we, there's still a lot we don't know. It is still early. The other is the underlying change seems to be in how often guys are barreling the ball rather than in how the ball is traveling or anything like that. Now, that's just one tweet thread. There's other other things to look at, and there's there's deeper dives that could be done. His speculation is maybe pitchers are making more mistakes, whether that's the pitch clock or or something else. Like they're making more mistakes, and so guys are barreling the ball more, and so there's more hard hit. Like that all that all follows right that all logically makes sense it's a, it's a it's a narrative i can buy into um if that's the case it suggests to me there's two possible things one is just this is just what it's going to be like now and guys are going to barrel the ball more often which would mean that barrel rates overall need to be taken thought of differently right if everybody if barrel rates are up across the league then any individual player being up isn't quite as notable the other possibility is guys are still getting used to the pitch clock. And once they do, they'll settle in, they'll make fewer mistakes. All this will settle back to where it's been in the past. And I do think like last year was a abnormally low offensive environment. I do not think we're going to get back to that, but we may settle in back closer to where we were in 2021 rather than where we were in 2019, which honestly we're already closer to that. I I, to me, I, I would just look at this and be like, it's not 2019 where we had the rabbit ball. It's not 2022 where we had the dead ball unless you're Aaron Judge, in which case you got the the special ball. It's just a, it's just what it's been the years other than that. And I, I think as somebody who drafted very, um, I don't know, 
patiently when it comes to pitching. That kind of worries me a little bit because I went into the season thinking like, okay, we're, we're getting this shift in baseball where maybe this this pitching usable the, the number of usable pitchers is going up and it's all of a sudden looking like maybe that's not the case i also would say i don't know how much of an impact this has on the overall numbers but i'd really have to dive into it there have just been a lot of pitchers that we know are going to be really good that have just had terrible outings i mean it's been all over mm-hmm. the league and like those guys are just gonna pitch better we already saw like Degrom's the extreme ex- extreme case right terrible first outing and then best outing of the season arguably his next time out there so we're going to continue to see those ace level pitchers i think start to normalize and i don't know just how much of an impact that's going to have on that that figure but it should have a positive impact nonetheless yeah i mean just, just that point like i'm looking at a leaderboard right now of the 72 pitchers who Fangraph says are qualified starting pitchers i don't actually know what qualified means at this point it might just mean they've made a start i'm not sure what else it could mean probably but 72 starting pitchers sorted from the highest to lowest ERA. So just reading from the top of the list. And it's like Ken Waldachuk has a 14.54 ERA. That is not going to sustain, although he might he might be bad. We don't know. Spencer Turnbull is next on that list. He oh. also, maybe he's just not going to be good. Chris no. Sale, 11.25. Ah! <laughs> Sale's going to get better. I don't, I'm not saying he's necessarily going to go be a Cy Young candidate, but he's not going to do that. Chris Bassett, 10.61. That is going to get better. Um, Corbin Burns, 9.64. That's going to get better. Lance Lynn, 9. That's going to get better. Like Blake Snell is over 7.5. Zach Gallen is over 7.5. Aaron Nola is just under 7.5. Logan Webb is over 6.5. Max Scherzer is almost at 6.5. Like DeGrom is still over 5.5, even with that second. So, like, whatever is going on, and whether that's like that's a lot of veterans who maybe are still getting used to the pitch clock. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of things that could be happening there. Whatever it is that's driving that, you're right. There's a bunch of guys who have been terrible who are just not going to keep being terrible. <laughs> it's just not what's going to happen. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I think I don't know. Again, I don't know how much that's going to impact the overall number, but it will one way or another. It will, even if it's only you know 15, 16 guys that start pitching better. Um, oh man, a couple of those names really hurt me there. Uh, we're going to take our first break Then we're going to do some true or false statements, kind of similar to last time, our, our, our theme of our last episode. Uh, and then we'll dive into our topic for today. So we'll be right back. Sometimes it can feel like food has an emotional control over you. Well, it's time to show your food who's boss with Noom. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization 
so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Welcome back, everybody. Keeper Cut Podcast here, Pete Ball, Chad Young. And I'm going to start throwing some true or false statements at Chad and just get his reaction. Um, Based on this first, again, turn and a half through the rotation earlier in the year. And the first one, Chad, is Brian Reynolds is a top 10 outfielder for the rest of the season. It's a... I'm a big Brian Reynolds fan. So I'm, let's I'm a say fan five by this. five, by the way. Oh, see, you go five by five. And here I was already. Looking Give me both. Up. Give me both. Give me both. So what, what I was actually in the process of doing was pulling up my auto new rankings where one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I had Brian Reynolds preseason as the number 10 outfielder for auto new. So for auto new, this is an easy yes for me. Um, he hasn't, I would say, I mean, I had Kyle Schwarber ninth. You could maybe make a case. He's moved ahead of Schwarber. If you look at the guys behind him, Eloy Jimenez, George Springer, Taylor Ward, Stanton, Luis Robert, Chris Bryant, Yoshida, Arose, like nobody there has done enough to jump past Bryant, given what Bryant has done. Now, I don't think he's moved ahead of, Schwarber, J-Rod, Acuna, Tucker, Betts, like, you know, let alone Soto, Judge, Jordan Alvarez, or Trout. So I think he is right at the bottom of that top 10 for Otto New, but yes, I think he is a top 10 off after the rest of the season. Five by five is a tougher... It, you're really counting on this power outbreak being legit. Because he's like, you know, he stole seven bases last year. He's got one already this year. So he's going to steal you, let's say six, seven, eight bases, something like that. But like, he's not going to steal a ton of bases. And it's sort of hard to break into that top 10 outfielder range without that, unless he's going to be at like 35 to 40 home runs instead of the 25 to 30 he's traditionally been at. And so, man, it's a that's a tough tough call. I think I'm gonna say yes. I think he is. I think he's. I think he's gonna give you a high average. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna crack 30 home runs. Yeah, let's go with it. Yes. All right, I like it. I think it's 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 pretty bold. Um, I I remember we had a conversation about outfield before the season began. And we talked about how our top nines were essentially the same nine players, like they're basically superstars. And then you had Michael Harris Jr. I had Luis Robert. 
I think Luis Robert is is breaking into a stud right now, which maybe he's always been. He just hasn't been healthy. And then there's Corbin Carroll as well, contending with Brian Reynolds. So to me, it, it, it might come down to those three, four players if you want to include Harris as well. Um, but I could see see Reynolds, you know, emerging um, as the best from that group for sure. I, I, that's why I wanted to ask the question. So uh, maybe hold on your Brian Reynolds shares, even though he does play for Pittsburgh. The next true or false. I'm going to add a little context for this, Chad. It's very short. Uh, Corbin Burns is not a top 10 starting pitcher rest of season. He was someone who was drafted as like the number one starting pitcher for many, many people. And here are two stats. One is very recently. The other is since August 1st, August 1st, Corbin Burns' ERA is 4.57. So that's 15 starts. Uh, it's 89 strikeouts over 86 and two thirds innings pitch. That's only a 9.24 K, uh, K per nine with an ERA of four and a half. <laughs> that's, that, that's not nothing. That's his last 15 starts in his most recent start. Or maybe it was the start before. I can't recall 93 pitches, five swinging strikes. That's like Zach Greinke territory. So, uh, Chad, true or false Corbin Burns, not a top 10 starting pitcher rest of the season. Oh boy. Um, until you started reading off those numbers, I was like, that's ridiculous. Of course he is a top 10 starting pitcher the rest of the season. Like, <laughs> and now I don't know. I mean, I think the thing that that's most concerning to me is this year, at least is, is the walks. Like it seems really unlike him <laughs> to be, allowing as many walks as he has and that's like he you know he went through that stretch where he like walked nobody for the start of a what was it like it was like a month and a half or something it was some crazy stretch of time um his and his his fastball velocity his last two starts like his two starts this year are 95 and 95.5 that's down right i mean he's been 96 and a half 96 ish so i boy um my guess is I, i'm gonna say this i think there will be a point this season where we can say yes from here on out he'll be a top 10 pitcher i'm not sure that point starts today like it, it seems like he's he's working some stuff out he's still trying to get right i don't know yeah i don't know um that's a long stretch. I mean, 15 starts, that's half a season, right? Like, and and so we're saying, oh, it's a half a season. It went back last year. But like, if he had put up, if his first 15 starts this year have those numbers, it wouldn't seem weird to be like, no, he's just not the guy he was. But I, I still think he'll get back there, but it's it's hard to know if that's going to happen soon. Fair enough. For for what it's worth, the um, expected FIP was 3.25 over that stretch. So, you know, he was pitching not quite up to his underlying stats, but like, sheesh, that's still not Corbin Burns territory. And that's still not first starting pitcher overall territory. Um, okay. This next one, Glaber Torres is, is ridiculous right now. He's getting on base in over half of his plate appearances. That won't continue. But through... Last season, through 572 plate appearances, he had 10 stolen bases. This year, through 29 plate appearances, plate appearances, he has five. Is Glaber Torres, or I'm sorry, it's not a question. It's a true or false statement. Glaber Torres is going to steal 25 bases this season. True or false? 
That is false. He's not going to steal 25 bases. I, I get that he's running a lot more now. I think, I actually think the stolen base rate is going to settle a little bit as the season goes on. I'll have to see what happens, but like right now, I think teams are running a little wild. I don't think pitchers have really figured out how to control the run game, the way things are set up right now. I think they'll get better at that. The, the caught stealing rate will go up. Teams will dial back. A team like the Yankees that really has no need to run because they've got power hitters up and down that lineup like i no i don't think i don't think he runs i mean he's never tried to steal 25 bases in a season right he stole he's he's made six attempts this year he made 15 last year 20 the year before and then one seven and eight the three years before that like i don't th- I, I don't think he's going to try to steal 25 bases i think he'll he may he may push up near 25 stole seal attempts you know he's, he tried 20 in 2021 so like he could get up near 25 stolen attempt, stolen base attempts and that could get him to let's say 17 18 maybe 20 steals but i don't think he's going to get to 25 okay fair enough yeah it sounds like to me then he's he's probably a pretty decent sell high even though i like glaber and i'm sure you do too uh, if people think he's a 25 stolen base guy now because of this ridiculous pace that he's on, then maybe it is time to move him. This next one I love. Adam Duvall will hit 40 home runs this season. I mean, you want me to say yes. I know you want me to say <laughs> yes, but uh, no, I don't think Adam Duvall is going to hit 40 home runs this year. He's what, what does he have already? Like, I think it's only like five? three. It's three or four. Like I don't three. think he's at five yet. See, so he has yeah he has three home runs in almost thirty plate appearances, twenty eight plate appearances. That puts him on like a sixty home run pace or something ridiculous like that. Um, and I'm just asking for forty. And you're just asking for forty. Uh, <laughs> no, he's not going to do that. And I think this is this is a case where like, I don't know, let's go back. I'm going to go back and see if I can pull up a leaderboard. For last year, through the season started late last year, so let's say, uh, let's say through one second, through like April sixteenth. See if this pulls up. All right, this is good. This is this is a similar number of plate appearances. Here are some guys who threw anywhere from 30 to 40 plate appearances. Somebody's going to start up at like 45, somebody down at like 25. Home run leaders around this time last year, around this deep into the season. CJ Crone had five. Vlad Guerrero had five. Nolan Arenado had four. Ozzy Albies had four. Jose Ramirez had three. Francisco Lindor had three. Seiya Suzuki had three. Tommy Edmond had three. Soto had three, Buxton had three, Jerks and Profar had three, Verdugo had three, Rizzo had three, Marcelo Zuna, Brandon Lau, Shohei Otani, Mitch Hanniger, Oscar Mercado had three, Owen Miller had two. Like, some of those guys were legit threats to hit 40 home runs. And some of those guys were Alex Verdugo and Tommy Edmond. <laughs> and, and I, uh, so no, I'm not really changing my expectations for Adam Duvall quite that drastically off of 30 plate appearances. 
Sorry. All I heard, all I heard was that at this time last year, Shohei Otani had three home runs. And at this time this year, Adam Duvall has three home runs. That's all I heard there. And this last one, Chad, I already know how you feel, but I have to throw it out there anyway, because I'm going to beat this drum until I'm blue in the face. Wander Franco is a first round pick next season. He is locked in. And I hear a side question. So you can answer the true or false. If we redrafted right now, where do you think his ADP would be? Wow. Um, so I don't think, I mean, Franco is locked in right now. We've also already had an injury scare with him this year. And that's been a, that was a, a significant problem for him last year, right? He's, he only got into 83 games. Um, no, I don't think he's a first round pick. Now, where would his ADP be? It'd be, it'd be, higher earlier better like he would certainly move up i think you know if he was a guy who like to me he he reminded me we've we've talked about the comparison with tim anderson before high average 15 to 20 home runs 15 to 20 steals good season like now maybe you think he can get 20 home runs 20 steals like feels more reasonable like a 2020 season feels more realistic than it has in the past i think but i don't like i don't think he's gonna put up like a 30 30 season i don't think he's gonna go 30 20 or 20 30 i like i it's just not where i see him ending up um but i will admit he looks like a better fantasy player than i anticipated the sample is still so young, uh, or so, still so small. He's so young. The sample is still so small. I mean, if we if we were to just judge Wander Franco on seven game spurts, if we were to judge any player on seven game spurts. You know, you could certainly make the case that they're going to be a first round pick next year. I think if you had concerns about Franco as a fantasy player, and we we want to continue to make that clear because both Chad and I would take Wander Franco on the Sox or on the Guardians in a heartbeat. Um, then you're not changing your tune based on this small sample, especially when the Rays are seven and zero and playing really well as a team. Like it's easy to get swept up in it. Um, I don't think I'd answer true to that yet, but I, I'm I'm targeting Wander Franco. Like I, I I'm I think Wander Franco is a buy high. Let me put it that way. Um, that's where that's where I'm at with him. So uh, that now takes us to our our what this episode is supposed to be all about, which is essentially we wanted to get a little technical here. We are a keeper league podcast um, as well as an ot new podcast we're looking long term right and in some leagues where you've got a lot of il spots and you've got maybe room on your bench to spare right like ot new leagues for example 40 man rosters and i know a lot of our listeners just playing deep keeper leagues and so on and so forth we were kicking around who are players who are rostered in very few leagues i didn't want to put a number on it because the roster percentages from platform to platform are kind of crazy right now um but who are players who basically are available in most places that if you added off your wire, off your free agency, off of whatever, would be basically free to keep and who we think could actually end up being keepers for you next year, even if their immediate short term value is not there. And that's why they are available. So that's that's how I'm going to kind of set the stage here. We're going to talk about six names um, and I'm going to throw it to Chad first to give us his first one. Yeah, so the first guy I'm looking at, this is a guy who is, uh, he, you know, speaking of Tampa Bay Rays who are on fire, um, Luke Rayleigh, 10.6% rostered in auto new, 
has three home runs in 16 plate appearances. So you should have asked me if he was going to hit 40 home runs. He's got the same number of home runs as Duvall in 12 fewer plate appearances. He's obviously better. That's that's the only takeaway we can have from that. He also has a 308 average. Rayleigh is a a 28 year old, and he's he's not he's not a rookie. He's gotten some playing time in the past, but he's not far off from being a rookie. He you know if you look at his his major league track record, it's 72 plate appearances last year with Tampa, 72 the year before with the Dodgers. He was not good in either of those appearances. But he was very good in AAA for Tampa Bay last year. He was very good for LA in AAA in 2021. He was very good for Minnesota in AAA in 2019. Uh, he was very good for both the Dodgers and the Twins in 2018 in AA. Like, he's got a really good long track record of being a successful hitter. And he, what he hasn't really had is a good, clean, extended look at the major league level, right? 72 played a period, or sorry, 72 games through, no, sorry, 33 games, 72 played appearances for the Dodgers in 2021. So that's like just over two played appearances per game, which means a lot of that is pinch hitting or getting a couple early at bats and getting pulled. 22 played appearances over 72 games for, sorry, 22 games. 72 plate appearances. I, I I can't read today for some reason. <laughs> but 72 plate appearances, 22 games for Tampa last year. Again, those are not full starts. This year, he's been in five games, made 16 plate appearances. If you go check out his game log, that's basically three starts and then two pinch hit appearances. But when he's starting, he is in the lineup starting. And he looks good. And I think when you look at his track record, it's easy to believe that he is that good, right? It's not like, oh, you know, he's always been terrible and this is just like a fluky five games. Like, he's got a decent track record. He is, he's had some issues with strikeouts in the past. He's keeping that relatively good now, 25%. He's walking 6.3% of the time. His track record suggests he could actually get that up a little bit. He has a 256 WRC plus with a 308 average, 375 slugging, and, or sorry, Three hundred average, three seventy five on base, one thousand slugging to get to that two fifty six WRC plus. He also has a one forty three BABIP. So he theoretically there is there's more there. Maybe um, he has a thirty percent barrel rate and a seventy percent hard hit rate. I don't think those are sustainable numbers, but they're good numbers, and they they certainly show that he's. He's earning what he's doing here, right? He is he is hammering the ball. And to drive that point home, his 526 Woba, which again is not sustainable. I understand that. He has a 506 X Woba. Now, again, that doesn't mean like, oh, 526 isn't sustainable. He'll be 506 going forward. That's not what I'm saying. But he's legitimately smashing the ball right now. That might just be because he's wearing a Rays uniform. And right now, everybody who wears a Rays uniform is just like, Home run, triple, single, stolen base. Like they're all, but they're all doing crazy things. Uh, and he's not the last Ray. We've already talked about a Ray in this episode, and he's not the last Ray we're going to talk about in this episode. But I, I really like Luke Rayleigh. He's also, by the way, he hasn't stolen a base yet, but he had seven in AAA last year and eight in AAA in 2021. So I think he's a guy who could chip in 
you know, a handful of stolen bases. And those, by the way, were like half season samples because he was split in time in the bigs. So, you know, you start prorating what he does over like a full season's worth of plate appearances. And he's probably a platoon guy. He's a lefty hitter. So for the Rays, when he platoons, he'll at least be in the lineup the majority of the time. But like, he's got the speed to steal 15 bases. I don't know if he'll actually do it. He's got the power to hit 20 to 25, maybe more home runs. Again, I don't know if he'll do it, but like that's that skill set exists there and he should be able to do it with a pretty good on base percentage. So I'm excited about Luke Rayleigh. And I think he is the kind of guy that at, at 28 years old, like he could establish himself as the strong side of a platoon for the Rays for the next few years, which then gives him that keeper value, right? This isn't just a, you know, that, that to me is what distinguishes him from someone like not to not to knock on Miles Straw. I love my Guardians, but like Miles Straw, interesting guy, having a good start to the year, doing a lot of really good things, stealing a lot of bases. He's a great pickup right now where he's available because of those stolen bases. I don't know that he necessarily jumps into the keeper conversation because I think next year in drafts, he's still sort of a like late round, might be able to help you out with the rates a little bit, but probably not. Not a very good hitter, but at least still steal bases. Like that's just sort of who he is. Rayleigh could establish himself as a solid contributor. Yeah, and those speed guys like Straw do tend to get pushed up, like you said. I I was actually going to bring up Miles Straw because I wanted to talk about Rayleigh in the context of outfield, which going into the season, as you know, Chad, I was pretty worried about outfield. I thought it was actually kind of thin, especially in five outfielder leagues. And so I think the Luke Rayleys of the world have really bailed out a lot of people. Um, And if outfield continues to trend in that direction, I could see definitely if you have a last round value, Luke Rayleigh, and it looks like he's going to be a strong side platoon who could give you power and speed. Why not throw a keeper spot at him in those exceptionally deep keeper leagues? So I like the pick. My first pick is definitely an off the wall one. Uh, That's Connor Norby. Um, What makes I'm going to start with what makes Norby not that appealing uh, just to kind of get that out of the way. First of all, Jordan Westberg and Joey Ortiz are both in at AAA and middle infielders for the Orioles as well. Um, Westberg off to a little bit of a slow start, not necessarily as good of a prospect as Norby, but he's already made starts at second base, third base and shortstop at AAA. And both of those guys, Ortiz and Westberg, have a lot more AAA experience than Norby especially Westberg who has hundreds of more triple a plate appearances. So that's my long way of saying like, I expect Westberg to get the call before Norby, all things being equal, everybody being healthy and maybe even Ortiz does as well. But the major league infields for the Orioles is not something outside of Gunnar Henderson. That'll really blow your hair back. Um, and they have these young guys on the rise and the Orioles have started their window of contention, right? Adley is up. Gunnar is up. Grayson is up. DL Hall got called up last year. Um, and even though he's injured, like I expect to see him in the bullpen soon. So their window of contention has started. I don't think that's going to stop them from calling up these guys when they are ready. And one thing about Connor Norby and the reason why I like him so much and why I'm mentioning him for this is because he's had no trouble adjusting to the quote next level. Um, before last season, he had no experience above high A. Um, and when he got called up to double A, he had no issue. 17 homers, 10 steals, a sub 20% K rate, and a 157 WRC plus in 296 plate appearances. So that wasn't nothing. Uh, and then he was promoted to AAA and he did not slow down. He got to the next level and just kept it going. Four homers, an 11.9% K rate. I wouldn't expect that to continue, but hey, we'll take it as he adjusts to the next level up. 190 WRC plus. Obviously, those numbers look extreme because it's just 42 plate appearances, but he had no trouble then adjusting to the next level. 
uh, both of those levels again for the first time. So projecting systems don't expect to see uh, much of him this year. But again, Orioles are over 500. They just called up Grayson Rodriguez and they've started their contention window. So Norby is a guy who he's not on like every top 100 prospect list, whereas Joey Ortiz mostly is like there are names in the Orioles organization that you can say I'd rather have than Norby. But Norby is absolutely free. He's at AAA. He's power and speed. And he's at a premium position at second base. So I, if I have the roster space, if I'm like, you know, hanging out filtering my ot new because i just had to put eloy jimenez on the il or something and i just want to make a dart throw i'm going to throw a dart at connor norby um any thoughts on norby chat or you just want to dive right into your next guy Uh, i like norby i think he's his track record is sort of weird to me because like Sometimes, like, I go back to look at the track record, and, like, some years he doesn't walk at all, and he strikes out way too much. And other years, he stri- his strikeouts look fine, and his walks are high. And, like, this year so far, in what's really his first taste of AAA, he had 42 plate appearances last year. He's got 29 this year. This year, like, so similar numbers, right? Like, last year, he walked over 7% of the time, 7.1%. This year, he's only walking 69 Not that different, but that's sort of where it is. But he was striking out. 11.9% of the time last year. And now this year he's striking out 31% of the time. And so I think my, my, what I'm struggling with Norby a little bit is I don't feel like I've got a clean read on, on who he is because even when I go back and look at his previous years, his strikeout rate has been as low as 19.9% as high as, you know, 24%. That's actually not that wide a range. So maybe that's not fair, but like the walk rate's gone from as low as 8.6 to as high as 16.7. And it, and he's only had, let's see this, 150, 359. He's had like 700-ish total pro plate appearances. So I just, I, I'm not sure I've got a really great read on him. And so while the stats look pretty good overall, I also see a guy who has like a 35, 40 grade on his hit tool. And it's like, scouts don't like it for some reason, right? And And maybe there's something I'm missing. So that's, it's keeping me from... It's keeping me from getting overly excited, but I I like your point about like, he is just free. We could just, you could just pick him up. Uh, you have to have the depth to wait, but if he gets a shot and he performs, then yeah, you're going to have him locked in. Like, I, I think the thing that's interesting with these guys is like, well, Westberg and Ortiz are maybe better prospects. None of those guys are like, there isn't a Gunnar Henderson coming. There isn't somebody coming who you're like, it doesn't matter what Norby does, he's getting displaced. If he gets the first shot and he performs, he's going to stick. So that piece I like. Agreed with all that. Uh, Norby is definitely, he's my least rostered of these three choices. So we'll we'll, we'll pick up the uh, relevancy in a minute. But before we do and jump to Chad's second guy for this, uh, we are going to take our second break. We'll be right back. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life. 
not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Most weight loss programs are short-term fixes, but the problem is managing your weight needs a long-term solution. And that's what makes Noom different. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight today and in the future. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, folks, welcome back to Keep or Cut. Chad was going to give us his second choice for players who maybe target right now, even though they don't look all that appealing because they could be a keeper for next year. That's one way to put it. Uh, Chad, who's your next choice for this? So my next guy is a guy, I've already picked him up in a couple places, and I'm I'm actually, I'm going back and forth. And so I want to talk through him a little bit because I think he has a path to playing his way into being a keeper, but his his performance so far has been sort of weird. So that is Ella Huris Montero, third baseman for the Rockies. The, the reason he has a shot to be a keeper is because he's the third baseman for the Rockies. <laughs> so like, there's always a path to a guy playing half their game in cores and being useful. But he's also like, Last year in AAA, he had a 130 WRC+. Plus. He had 15 home runs in about half a season worth of playing time. 2021 split between AA and AAA. He had 136 WRC+, plus in AA, 119 in AAA, 28 combined home runs between the two levels. And that was in 500 plate appearances. So, like, this is a guy with, like, he's legit got 30 home run power. And he plays in quarters. Like, that is a, you know, that's a nice thing to see. Um, his hit tool. So we, I talked about the hit tool for Norby and like scouts don't really love it. Fangraphs right now, his hit tool has, they have him at a 30 current 50 future. Now what that means is he's struggling to make contact today, but they see a strong hit tool when they scout him. And that is really interesting to me because if he can tap into that with the power he has, there's some real potential there. Now this year so far, he's got a 341 Woba, which is pretty good. But he also has a 32.1% strikeout rate. He was 32.4% in his 185 Major League Plate appearances last year. In his now, he's got a total of 213 Plate appearances across last year and this year in the Majors with a total of eight walks. That's not a lot of walks over that many Plate appearances. All of those were last year. So, you know. He said 213 major league plate appearances, 3.8% walk rate, 32.4% strikeout rate. I talked about what scouts see in that hit tool. That needs to start coming to fruition. And so I'm looking at him right now and I'm like, yeah, his performance is pretty good, but he also is like striking out a ton. He's not walking. He has a 444 BAPIP. 
If I go look at like his ex-WOBA, his WOBA 341, his ex-WOBA is 169. Like there's a lot of ugly in there right now. And so I've picked him up a couple places and I'm actually considering bailing on him. The thing that is stopping me from bailing on him is I see long-term potential here. And I think the challenge with him is it might be a little while. Like his first taste of double A was 2019. He struck out 31.1% of the time. His second taste of double A was 2021. He brought that down to 23.7% of the time. Like his first taste of triple A, his actually his strikeout rate was fine. He brought it, but his next taste was where he brought his walk rate up a bit and earned his way to the majors. So like, it just may be that he needs to take time to adjust and develop before he's really producing. And so if you pick him up today, you have to sort of accept that downside risk in the near term. But I think there's a real strong bat in here that will play up thanks to cores, if nothing else, once he gets right. I'm just not sure he gets right immediately. And so I'm I'm debating in some of these leagues like, do I want to stay with him or should I just move on, find someone else? So far, I'm staying with him and just playing him at home and hoping that the core's effect is effective. Yeah, the the zero walks is concerning, but I mean, Corbin Carroll has no walks so far this year. I, I don't think Montero is going to walk as much as Carroll, but you know, it, it still is kind of anecdotal. And he was the top prospect in the Nolan Arenado trade. So even though we worry about the Rockies always trying to block players, and we thought they were with Mike Moustakis um, in this exact situation, at the end of the day, um, I think they want Montero to be good. They need Montero to be good to justify this atrocious trade that is one of the worst in baseball history. Um, <laughs> my next choice for this is Jose Siri, who I know Chad, you like as well. I'm going to start off with why I'm not that excited for him. Maybe not that excited for him this year, even though I have added him in quite a few spots. And it's really that like, he is clearly a, making a huge adjustment to his plate discipline. Um, I, I think the Rays are working on him. They're, they're trying to work their magic on Jose Siri and the results have been good, but the plate discipline numbers under the hood are a little odd. Um, he's whiffing even more this season but he's clearly trying to adjust his approach. So his chase rate is down from 36.4% to 25%. And that's because his swing rate is down from 51.7, which was about league average last season to 42.6 this year. So he's swinging less. He's trying to be a lot more selective. He just hasn't been exactly great when selecting Um, again, even though the results so far have been good. Um, But what, what do I like about Jose Siri? Well, first of all, even though it is a limited sample size, his average exit velocity on fly balls and line drives is up five full miles per hour. Um, It was 92.3 last year. It's up to 97.3 so far this season. When you have a barrel rate over 13%, obviously that will show um, in your average exit velocity on line drives and fly balls, which is the case for Jose Siri. Um, Last season, only, only, Two players, Bobby Witt Jr. and Corbin Carroll, had faster sprint speeds than Siri in just 325 plate appearances last year, split between Houston and Tampa Bay. He went 14 for 16 in stolen base attempts. Um, so if if he has a bigger sample this year, if he plays more for Tampa Bay, which he played six of seven games so far this season, he's only not playing today because he's dealing with a hamstring issue. That is like hot off the press. I don't know how serious it is. I guess we'll find out. But let's hope it's nothing and he continues to play at a really high clip for Tampa Bay, which I think he will. Uh, he's very clearly the Kevin Kiermeyer replacement. Kevin Kiermeyer went down with a season-ending hip, sur- hip injury in July last season. 
on August 1st, the Rays traded for Jose Siri. I think that was a very symbolic move. He has a great glove, 99th percentile outs against average, 95th percentile outfield jump, 95th percentile arm strength. Um, he's great out in the outfield, super athletic. And even though Kiermaier only had one season that eclipsed 500 plate appearances, I think Siri is a better hitter, could be a better hitter than Kevin Kiermaier. So maybe he can put forward some more 500 plate appearance uh, seasons with the Rays. And if he does... Well, I think he's a 2020 guy. It might be a low average, while especially while he works out these these plate discipline issues. But um, he's lifting the ball, and, and he's always lifted the ball. He's not a high ground ball rate guy, which we might want him to be because of his speed. But he hits the ball in the air, and this year he's hitting the ball in the air hard. So let's hope this injury is nothing. I like Jose Siri, and if it is something, I think it's all the more reason to target him because he's probably going to be a pretty cheap keeper next season. Yeah, I don't have a ton to add. I'll say the one thing I will add to that is over the last couple seasons, he's changed organizations twice. First org, he left. He left. He he was drafted by Cincinnati, signed by Cincinnati. He started with Cincinnati. He wasn't drafted. He was signed. Um, spent, you know, a few years, a number of years, five years, six years, something like that in their minor league system. And then the two teams that have targeted him since then are Houston and Tampa. Now, just because Houston and Tampa like a guy doesn't necessarily mean they're going to become a star or anything like that. But if I told you you could, you know, pick two orgs to just take you and you could only have the players they like, you know, maybe you'd put the Dodgers up there. There might be some, but like, there are very few teams that are that are better at identifying this kind of talent than those two. And so... That's just one other thing I would add there. That's a great, great point. I would include the Dodgers there, but for sure. So, Chad, we're up against the clock. We're going to do a lightning round, our last choices. And again, I am sorry I stole Jose Siri from you. So hopefully you've got something left in the chamber. But lightning round, who's your last choice for this? So I'm going to throw a real quick bonus lightning round before going to my actual pick. My my bonus lightning round is Reese Hoskins is getting dropped a lot of places and like, Great if you call. can stash him, you should. Just he's a good hitter. He's a very solid first baseman. Go get him if you can. Lux too. Lux um, too. Yeah, I know you don't feel that way, but I do. <laughs> yeah, but I, I like Hoskins is more established than Lux to me. So it's like where For he's sure. getting cut. It's like I feel more confident banking him. Like if I if I pick him up and I'm like this guy is my first baseman or corner infielder next year, I'm like good done box checked. So I like that. The guy I want to talk about though is Kyle Muller of Oakland who through two starts so far this year, 10 and two thirds innings, 2.53 ERA. The underlying numbers a little bit iffy 4.22 XIFIP, but a 3.13 FIP. And I I've caught out that difference because the difference there is a 0% home run per fly ball rate. 0% is not sustainable. He has historically in his limited major league experience though, limited 59.2 innings. He has a 6.9% home run per fly ball rate against him, which isn't so bad. Um, And he pitches half his games in Oakland. And so I think he's going to continue to suppress that home run for a fly ball rate. That is uh, helped by the fact that again, limited sample so far, he's yet to give up a barrel this year. And I, you know, I watched his start against Cleveland and he does, he keeps guys a little bit off balance. Like he just, I think people are going to, I think guys are going to have a hard time 
squaring him up regularly, which will then contribute to his ability to limit home runs, which is already aided by his ballpark. Um, he is... Oakland's made all these trades and everybody they've gotten stinks. And so <laughs> I would think that he's going to continue to get plenty of opportunities to just establish himself. He was their opening day starter. Um, and he pitched well, if he, I remember correctly. He did. He had a weird start because he had like an 18% CSW, but he, but the results were good. Sure. Um, but that was better. It is his second start. Uh, let's see if I can pull it up right now had that at one point but now uh, i can't find it um but it was better he he did make improvements going into that second start and so i, I like what i see i don't think he's a finished product yet and so i think a little bit like i was saying with elahuris montero i think there's gonna be some growing pains i think the difference is muller's already performing and so his growing pains might be like this starts good. This starts bad. You can only start him at home. You can only start him at home against weak opponents. Like you might have to make some tough decisions like that, but I really like the direction he's headed. So Kyle Muller guy who like, again, if you need innings today, this year, right now, like Anthony Disclafani is also available in a lot of leagues and might be a better bet today, but for keeper value for long-term Muller's the guy I'm interested in. Love it. And love the call out on Desclafani there. Uh, my choice for the, the lightning round, I want to continue my streak of being an absolute homer this year, whereas the previous seasons I have been anything but a homer when it comes to the Red Sox, and I'm going to go with Garrett Whitlock. So I'll start with the reasons why not to like him like I did for the last two players, or why not to like him necessarily for 2023. I mean, first of all, he's coming off arthroscopic hip, hip surgery. That's not what you want to hear about a starting pitcher. Um, between the last two seasons, he's barely pitched 150 total innings for the Red Sox, so uh, I, I wouldn't expect a big workload this year, especially when you consider that the Red Sox don't have great options for starting pitchers. That's not what I'm saying, but they have a lot of options for starting pitchers to limit their young, useful pieces like Whitlock, like Hauk, like Bayo. Uh, but the team has been adamant on all levels that that they want Whitlock to be a starter. That's come from Cora's mouth. That's come from Heim Bloom's mouth. That Whitlock is a starter. This isn't like a Hauk situation where he's, everybody's talking about him in the bullpen. Whitlock is a rotation piece. Um, and I guess that my big focus for Whitlock is about strikeouts, where on a podcast that I swear by, there was talk this offseason about how like Whitlock's not going to be much for strikeouts, but, you know, he could be a useful piece, you know, mid threes ERA. He's a strikeout pitcher. He just is. Um, so far through his rehab, 14 Ks through 10 innings pitched. We're not going to put much stock in that. It's two rehab outings, whatever. It's good, though, that he's he looks healthy and he's coming back. Um, speaking of those two outings, uh, the most recent one was six innings pitched. He threw 81 pitches, 51 for strikes, 12 swinging strikes. The velo looked better than the first outing where it diminished quickly. He was hitting 95 in his first rehab. And then it started like went right down to 91, 92. It was a little bit more consistent this time out. And he's going to be back next week against the Rays. So maybe it's a tough time to grab him, but if he does, you know, have a couple outings of four innings pitch, five innings pitch, four innings pitch, people are going to cool on him. And that's when you can seize and grab him for next season because like to go back to the strikeout thing, he was placed in the IL last season for the hip as early as June 10th. Um, and it, it bothered him all season. So that, first of all, any dip in any production from Garrett Whitlock, I'm going to attribute to the hip if it was June or after that. Also, he's been pretty much a 10 strikeouts 
per nine pitcher pretty much his entire career in the major leagues. He was that as a reliever last year, and he was that through the first two months of the season as a starter last year. The reason why it looks low is really because, number one, the sample was small. So this random six-inning pitch outing against Cincinnati, where he pitched six innings and literally got no strikeouts, that pretty much brought his his K-9 down to about a strikeout per inning as opposed to 10 strikeouts per nine, which if you play in a, play in a strikeouts per nine league, you know how big of a difference that is between nine and 10. I mean, that really did it because last year, his swinging strike rate act actually went up from where it was in 2021. It went up almost a full percentage point. And remember how good he was out of the bullpen in 2021. So I, I think we all like Whitlock. I think we kind of expect Whitlock to be a pretty good pitcher, but I think he's more of a strikeout pitcher than people might expect. And, and that should increase his value and makes him a pretty good target for right now. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been a fan of Whitlock for a while, so I, I like that one a lot and, I do feel like he's getting because this season is getting off to a weird start for him already. It's people are sleeping on him a little bit more than they should be. Yeah, I would agree with that. So folks, that's going to wrap up episode 94, not episode 95. We are five recordings away from the big one zero zero though. Um, we hope you like to listen again, subscribe uh, to our podcast. Give us all those Apple ratings and reviews. We love to read those. Send us your questions. Follow us at, at @keepercut at Chad Young and at PP Baseball, and we will see you next Wednesday.